cover of not, not doing so. Hello, everyone. Welcome to myself, Max McGillivray, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Beanstalk Global. As you will notice, not only am I with uh, two uh, amazing ladies that we're going to find out a, a lot, a, lot about, um, I'm at a, a show. I'm at a, actually at a show in person. I think this is my second show in the last 18 months that I've, I, I've attended on a live basis. I'm at the National Fruit Show in Kent in, um, in uh, England. And this show has been going for 85 years, would, would you believe? And the lady that runs it, an amazing lady called Sarah Calcutt, is, I think it's the sixth generation that her family have been involved with the show. And behind me is all the winning uh, produce, being apples and, uh, and pears that got judged uh, early in the day. And you have to, uh, I have to apologise because I'll probably get some random people coming in and looking over my shoulder and wanting to, to engage with us. But let's get um, our, our experts on board. Um, Alice is having, having a slip of her coffee. So let's say, Christina, say hello to everyone. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> nice to see you guys. Um, Alison, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Um, so let's just give, especially for those in the podcast, let's just give a bit of a, a background to Global Women Fresh because it is very important because uh, Christina, Alison and I, we're, we're looking to create change. We're looking to create a, a movement that's already gathered pace, being Global Women, uh, Women Fresh. Their mission is to change the status quo and leverage the talent of women in produce to close the industry's gender divide by inspiring, connecting and empowering women around the world. And their mission matters more than ever. Today, women account for 80% of purchasing decisions, but only 20% of the voices guiding decisions in the boardroom. What's more is that by 2030, we'll need the equivalent of two planets to feed a growing world population of 10 billion people, half of them being female. Our industry has been called upon to feed the world more humanely, sustainably, and efficiently. And more female leadership is a critical, critical part of the, of the answer. And our platform, Beanstalk, has partnered up with Global Women Fresh to create a monthly ongoing interview series. And this is to further promote the great work that they do to gain them more members ongoing and additional corporate sponsorship, as well as to assist them to make a long-term difference in the, in the global fresh produce sectors. And I'm slightly leading the witness. Christina, you got in contact with Global Women Fresh through the amazing Kay from Farmable through us. Was that correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And as we were saying in the green room, um, I, I love collaboration. The more that we can do this on uh, this particular broadcast series for the likes of Global Women Fresh to get you all to connect, uh, more the better. So today, the subject is um, uh, women, invent, women and venture capital in the ag tech world. So we've got um, our key experts and our goal is to share some of the challenges that still um, we see women face in the VC world and the lack of investment around women startups. Also, this is an opportunity to inspire and empower women around the world who may have, may have a great business idea, but they're not quite sure how to get the business to the next level. So what we're going to do, my, my rough agenda, is that um, I'm going to do a, a, a deep dive uh, interview, lasting five, ten minutes with each of these, uh, these ladies. We're then going to bring them back in, and we've got a set of questions that we're going to ask them to get the debate. And if you've got any questions that you'd like to send in, send them in through the, uh, the um, Zoom platform or on Facebook or on uh, LinkedIn uh, or WhatsApp me if you've got uh, my, my numbers direct. So let's start with, um, with Christina. Um, Alison, could you just turn off your, your video? And I'll, I'll call, call you back in a minute. Uh, Alison, thank you. So Christina, who are you and who is your company, please? Uh, definitely. So I'm Christina. Uh, uh, who am I? That's a, a philosophical <laughs> question, I guess. Uh, I'm the CEO of Anna. Uh, we're currently building uh, the first large-scale vertical farm in Norway, which is also where I'm from and where I currently am at. Excellent. And um, uh, so that, that's interesting. On the back of the conversation we were having the, in the green room, isn't it, about, uh, about, about vertical farming? So you, you didn't just um, appear um, miraculously in your, in your country and go to school thinking that you were going to set up a, an amazing vertical farming business. What, what was your career tra trajectory? We have a lot, a lot of students, a lot of graduates dialed in, and they love to hear what people's backgrounds are. How, how did you get into vertical farming? What is your career background, please? Yeah, definitely. So I, um, I studied uh, anthropogenic climate change and mitigation strategies. Uh, and I also have an MBA uh, from Harvard Business School. So I've uh, sort of worked on the study, the climate side, and I've studied the, the business side. Um, uh, after my uh, first degree, uh, which was on the, the climate side, I was uh, first of all, quite depressed because this was back in 2012, 2013, when sort of looking at mitigation strategies was quite um, the world looked very different then and the opportunities within that space was, it, the opportunities were limited. 
Uh, and one of the few companies that really caught my attention was Tesla. Uh, so I joined Tesla in 2013, and that's where I spent majority of my career. And I would say uh, one of the things that uh, that company really instilled in me is just this uh, conviction that making sustainable and responsible choices doesn't have to be a compromise. It can actually mean using better products and better solutions and services. Uh, and then I, um, I used to be an athlete. I've spent a lot of my uh, life um, eating, thinking about what calories I put into my body. So this sort of my interest for climate and sustainability and my passion for food uh, have always sort of wanted to merge. Uh, and with that, I think in general, within the food space, the opportunity to create value at the intersection of human health and global health is just, there's immense amount of opportunity there. Uh, and so with that, I kind of started looking at the field and seeing where I wanted to move and vertical farming quickly caught my attention. Um, and then I got an opportunity through the founder of this company who's um, uh, now the chairman of the company uh, to join uh, and be the CEO about two years ago. Well, we have to ask Tesla, uh, what, what was that like as, a, as, a, as an organization to work for? Was it just another corporate uh, thiefdom or was it different? <laughs> what, was, it a, was it a positive place to work? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, hard for me to compare because that's really where I've spent majority of my career uh, prior to Anna, uh, which I've kind of built from the ground up, but uh, an amazing place to work. Uh, and I mean, um, the focus on the company's mission and sort of the intensity and the sense of urgency was felt very closely, I think by most teams in the company. Yeah. Uh, and so it was just like this amazing sense of, you know, thousands of people across the world working towards the same goal. It was yeah, a really cool company to work for. There's um, our, our main communications company in the, in the UK, BT. I remember hearing one of their senior managers say at, um, uh, at a Cranfield University, one of our main uh, universities, that the biggest problem that BT has is uh, keeping the culture there. When you have a business with more than 500 people, and especially multi-site, especially on an international perspective, it's so difficult to keep that, that culture um, alive. If you look at the likes of Amazon, um, I'll be quite open about it. There's a, a number of people I know that work within Amazon that aren't, that they, they don't enjoy it. They, they feel that they are a number rather than a, than, than a name. I don't see that about Tesla. What's the magic dust within Tesla that, that makes everyone feel empowered, do you think? That's a really good question. And obviously, you know, teams are different, so I can't speak for the entire organization, but I think uh, there was a president set very early on within that company about the mission the company is on. And because Tesla has managed to execute and move uh, towards that goal in just such a decisive and efficient manner. Uh, you know, there's there's this constant momentum and obviously Tesla also has, you know, continuous roadblocks and challenges, but there's this kind of bulldozing through uh, that I think uh, creates a lot of ownership among the, uh, among the employees. And then obviously having inspirational uh, leadership like Elon and JB Strubble is, uh, you know, creates, um, it creates an inspiration among the, um, the so employees. It, so is it, is it from the top down that when you all work within te Tesla, you felt that, that, that energy, that magic from the likes of Elon? And did, 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 did that then come, come down to you all? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's, is, is it a cult? <laughs> uh, that's you're asking the wrong person because if it is, I mean, I would, I would, you got away. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I was definitely drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah, for like, the time I was there. Yeah, okay. So, um, the, the vertical farming, the, so you, you, you very, you very neatly just um segued into it. Come on, why, why do you get involved in vertical farming? You could have gone into anything, you could have gone into an, another, another corporate, you could have gone into politics, you could have gone into <laughs> know, sports management, something. Why, 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 what, what was the, the real attraction for you? Come on, no one's listening, tell us what was the attraction for you for vertical farming? <laughs> and I mean, uh, I think in general, coming back to this conviction that I did, was really instilled uh, in me at Tesla that sustainability or responsibility doesn't have to be a compromise. Uh, I think there's something about vertical farming there that I find very, very intriguing. Um, and sort of combining that then with an opportunity for innovation and bringing new technology to the market, that's yeah, uh, something that I'm just personally very interested in. Uh, and specifically in Norway and the Nordics with vertical farming, like coming back to this sort of non-compromise, uh, we import a massive amount of our fruits and vegetables. Um, uh, and that system isn't working 
uh, optimally. Yeah. There's yeah. massive waste. There's you know emissions and loss uh, on transportation routes coming to Norway uh, yeah. and making Norway yeah. more self-sufficient uh, and less reliant on food production systems that are so um, um, that are inefficient for us being so far away is uh, is a really compelling argument. Yeah, that, um, in one of the lectures earlier today, um, I'm going to get the, I'm going to murder the numbers, but Singapore um, is trying to make itself um, self-sufficient, um, and it's now stepped itself up, so it wants to make itself it's ten times more self-sufficient than it is currently because of the perceived threat, threat from from China. And I'm not trying to draw comparisons to, to your country to, to, to China, but but it's not that you you can't grow everything that 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 you need, or, or you may be able to with this uh, with this new technology and with the like with the likes of your business. No, that's oh, definitely true. And I think that's, uh, I, I would say twofold. So I, uh, one thing that intrigues me about vertical farming is, uh, is the fact that it can um, uh, secure, secure uh, self-sufficiency uh, with certain crops uh, or products. Uh, but then the other part of it is because we're producing vegetables and greens, uh, there's obviously a really important uh, movement happening on that front as well. Yep. Uh, and to actually enable uh, a future where uh, people are eating more green food uh, than uh, plant-based proteins, uh, you need to have steady, consistent supply of high quality products, yeah. um, which is, I think vertical farming is sort of one of the keys to unlock it, but I'm, that's something I've been very clear on sort of through my journey with Anna. Uh, vertical farming isn't, I think it's, you know, it's a very exciting, intriguing and sort of sexy business. There's a lot of, you know, buzzwords and exciting concepts and there's AI and automation and robots. There's so much stuff going into this sector. Uh, and I think it's uh, like, yeah, I, I don't want to get carried away by that. There's sort of a more important foundation uh, to focus on there. So Honor, where do you want it to be three years, five years from now? Being be re realistic, but being ambitious. Where, where do you want the, the business to be? Uh, so uh, an established market leader within the uh, lettuce, leafy green and herb uh, segment of Norway, uh, for sure. And, and also having expanded, started expanding into the Nordics. Excellent. And when you say expanding into to Nordics, um, what, what's Europe? Uh, 220 million souls, 72 million in, in the UK. Are you just going to, are you just going to stay in, in your regional area or do you want to expand globally? Uh, for now, the Nordics is our target market. It's a, it's a really interesting market to play in and we kind of we want to develop a niche uh, and optimize our business model for the nordic market uh, that being said i mean we, we talked about it prior to the call and you you and allison had some interesting um uh, notes on it vertical farming is, is an industry that's moving and kind of exploding in all directions really really fast i think it's really hard to predict uh you know where we are compared to competitors in three years and what that means for a more local or global uh, strategy yeah, uh, but, if, but if, you, if you've got your binoculars on uh, your future binoculars you're, you're positive with the structure that you've got set up the team that you've got set up you're positive about the future i'm very positive about the future yeah and, and if it's okay to ask on, on the basis of the conversation today that we're having about uh, women and venture capital in this ag tech world um how how is the business funded uh, through uh, private capital uh, so we've done two big uh, fundraising rounds, um, uh, which is sort of the timing of when I was brought in as CEO was to, we had a foundation of a business model in place and we structured that and strengthened it and then started raising uh, uh, raising capital. Uh, within the first two months of me being in uh, the role, we got COVID hit in the face. Uh, oh, so man. also to your previous conversation, that was really tough at first and then actually created some really exciting uh, tailwinds for us. Um, because it was the, I mean, the sort of the first wave of that pandemic and, and the sort of the freakouts, you know, the empty shelves, uh, the sort of the visceral or sort of physical experience a lot of people had was the first time in such a privileged country as Norway. I think that wow. uh, among other, the, the people who decided to invest in us really, you know, felt that there were issues in the supply chain and challenges. And so with that, um, vertical farming was a very, it became a very easy sell um, uh, all of a sudden. Yeah. And then we, yeah, so we did that. We did, uh, we've done two rounds, one of about 6 million uh, USD and then one, a private placement of 19 million USD, which we closed off in uh, May of this year.
you see this it's fascinating isn't it and you see the sort of cyclically in, in business um that there's there's always there's always a positive from from a negative when you went into the pandemic you i'm i'm, I'm sure you're like what, what's going to happen and then yeah. the, the look where it is i love your expression about giving you giving you tailwinds there's an expression i use from a lovely um lady buyer from pick and pay in um, south africa and she states never waste a crisis um and the, the People got to do one or two things in a world war or world recession or world pandemic. They've got to eat, they've got to clean. Um, so if you're in the eating game or the cleaning game, and especially if you can uh, provide it on a, on a, uh, on a localised basis and on a highly efficient basis, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be beneficial to, to, um, to, to you all. Um, and Christina, just stay there. Alison, can you come, come back in, please? Um, Alison, what, what's your, what's your, why is he coming back in? I can't believe that I, I absolutely murdered versatile farming in, in the green room uh, with, 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 with Christina's background. You, you would have thought Christina would have just uh, chopped me off and, uh, and, and disappeared and, and stopped, stopped the call. But all, all credit, to, credit to her. And Alison, are you as confident um, about versatile farming in the direction it's going as well? I think that there are, you know, to Christina's point, there are, like there are a ton of tailwinds that are behind vertical farming's back right now that are really, really interesting. So people are demanding more local, they're demanding more transparency into the food system, they're demanding safer product, right? All of those types of things lend itself towards why wouldn't we want to look at vertical farming as a solution, yes. um, or at least part of a solution, right? And so there are a lot of challenges that vertical farming faces. Of course, it's still hard to sort of make a farm. Uh, hugely profitable. We have uh, financing gaps where we are still struggling to find the right asset class of how to finance these facilities. We've got um, marketing challenges with how do we get to the retailers, to the right buyers, direct to consumers, and you know what is the right model for this. Um, but those are questions that are that are challenges that are solvable by entrepreneurs. So I'm excited about vertical farming. I. I'm not one of those people who believe that vertical farming is the solution to everything in the food supply chain because we have 17 million other challenges we have yeah. to solve. But I think it's a great tool in the tool belt to help solve some of the challenges. Well done. Um, everyone, just a little bit of housekeeping. Christina, if you could turn your video off. Um, uh, Martha, it's lovely to see you. Martha's been um, a, a bit late in. Martha, if you look at um, your top right-hand corner, can you just re rename yourself? Uh, because you've, you've come in on the, on the wrong link. And if you could just turn off your video whilst you're doing that. Oh, you're on a coach. Martha, you're on a coach. Fantastic. Oh, this is going to be so exciting. So um, we're just going to have um, uh, five minutes with Alison. So if, you, if you're able to rename yourself, and then I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to come in and interview your, your good self in a minute. So Alison, tell us about, about you and tell us about your business, please. Well, I'll say I get to take credit for Martha's business too right now because we're <laughs> both of us. So, yeah, it's good to meet everybody uh, virtually and, and I'm excited to be here. Uh, so I was the founder and CEO of a company called Artemis and we build software in the controlled environment ag space. Uh, so we work with vertical farms, we work with greenhouses, we work across um, produce and the cannabis and ornamental industries. Um, and until recently, uh, where we were acquired by a company called Unu, spelled I-U-N-U, -U, if you want to check us out, unu.com. And we are now the leading uh, artificial intelligence company in the CEA space. So we're all on a mission to uh, really focus on automating and driving intelligence and optimization for the CEA industry. Wow, okay. And your background, coming similar, similar to, to, to Christina. Um, Actually, it is similar. <laughs> what, you work for Tesla yeah. as well? No, but we both had climate backgrounds. I think a lot of people who come into yeah. uh, the controlled environment ag space in particular have energy or climate backgrounds in some way, shape or form, because it's hard to ignore some of the underpinnings of what this industry is trying to do, right? Which is trying to focus on less land, less water um, in the future of our food sort of development crisis. And so, you know, to your words of never wasting a crisis, we've got a climate crisis on our hands and a lot of the CEA industry exists to try and solve how we produce food in a way to address those challenges. So um, yeah, my background, I studied physics um, and computer engineering, uh, went on to work in the solar industry a little bit. So not the electrical, you know, electric vehicle side, but the solar industry working in uh, energy and, and got connected to agriculture fortuitously about 12 years ago um, and joined one of the earliest uh, venture-backed greenhouse companies based in New York, a company called Bright Farms, led operations for them and then sort of just saw the challenges that we faced from an optimization standpoint, still working a lot on pen and paper, difficult margins, all yep. of these types of things, um, and saw how it could be mirrored by solutions in other industries. We saw what manufacturing sort of faced when it when it sort of drove towards this software-driven automation, hardware-driven automation. You can see what artificial intelligence has done for other industries. And so um, that became the exciting thing that I liked working on. 
and, and you with your with your background today and, and the role that you've got I'm, I'm guessing that you've got to do a lot of strategy I'm um, just just so again just leaning on you in the respect of the graduates that we have dialed in do you often review your, where you are and where you want to go in, in the future trying to to figure out where the tailwinds are for the for the businesses you're associated with and for your own career or, or do you just take it day, day by day uh, week at a time yeah, of course. So um, my new role at the at, at UNU is chief marketing officer and head of data products. So that is almost entirely what I'm doing as a job uh, is looking at sort of where where we are in the market and how do we expand our market position. Sort of similar to what Christina was talking about their goals, right? Um, any sort of venture back company is looking to uh, scale quickly, uh, efficiently, become the solutions provider for whatever market that you're in, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at the challenges that growers are having globally and try and understand them deeply and solve them with products that we can offer in our full suite. And my job is to look at what we're providing now, what we should be providing uh, in the future and how we match those things up in order to gain that market share. What market should we be in? What products should we be offering? How do we sell? How do we think about these things strategically? And, and how do we do that efficiently and fast? And, and do you think in this, in this world of ag tech globally, it's actually gonna be businesses like yours that, that prosper, that sell solutions rather than those that actually deploy the solutions and grow? Well, because you, you, you potentially got a, a larger customer base rather than those that grow, what do you think? Well, we can't survive if the producers don't survive, right? So if the market of producers doesn't grow, we don't grow. That is that is like a fundamental truth because those are our customers, right? And so um, we need, uh, as, do any, as does anyone who's providing a solution to the industry, uh, the industry to exist, to thrive, to grow. And part of uh, you know, the value proposition that we bring as a solutions provider is how do we actually help that, right? How do we expand the industry? How do we think about risk? So with our technology, we can look at things like the risk profile of the farm uh, and try and reduce it. What pests, what disease might you get? Um, and how do you optimize so that you don't get those things? Um, we started to work with lenders in the industry recently where we've helped lend over $200 million into the industry because it's less risky when you use our technologies. Awesome. That's the kind of stuff that we're doing to help bring the industry, not just optimization of each facility, but how do you expand the industry and help that industry thrive? And that's your magic dust. I'm, I'm probably getting a bit confused. There's a, a UK online retailer called Acardo um, and they developed a, a, a ton of software and actually they've turned into a software um, a seller of retail systems. And so their systems uh, for deploying online uh, retail are, are now being sold globally. Um, and they, mm -hmm. they have this, this small retail business in, in, the, in the UK, started off on, on retail, but now they've, uh, they're, they're, they're making their, their fortune, their, their future direction, uh, selling the services that, that they go down. Hence the question to, to, to yourself. So to your... You're positive, you're positive about the future in the respect of, of your business and being able to deploy your services on, on an American basis or, or are you looking internationally as well? Well, I'll say first and foremost, to, to be a founder of a technology company, you have to be incredibly brash and irrationally confident that we're going to succeed. <laughs> so yes, I'm confident that we're going to succeed. Um, but it's, it's really for us, it's about North America as a prime focus right now. Um, albeit we've started to expand globally. So we are in markets like Australia, New Zealand, um, and we're starting to think strategically about what comes next for us globally. But um, but right now our prime focus is North America. So, um, and Martha, can you come back in? Let, let's see if, if, if this is gonna work with Martha on a, on a, on a coach. And, and when, when you say um, North America, Alison, where, where actually are you based? Because we always get these questions about where, where is Alison based? Is it, is it I'm, gonna get my, I'm gonna get my locations wrong here. Are, are you in Dallas? Are sure. you in, where, where are you? Yeah, so I'm personally in Pennsylvania. Um, our team is remote, but we're based in Seattle, Washington. And then uh, and then we have people all, all across the country. As far as clients go, though, all across the country, we have a huge Canadian presence as well. And um, so we have team members in Canada and the U.S. across the entire uh, span of North America. And we're uh, growing our client base the same way. So we are definitely not tied down by any physical location. Albeit, if you want to come by the office and visit us, we're in Seattle, Washington. It's a, it's a like WordPress, I always love that example of uh, WordPress uh, runs 45% of all websites uh, globally, um, employs uh, 5,000 people, and they don't have one mm -hmm. office, and, and they've never, never, never had an office. But there's an argument about likes of Yahoo tried it, we couldn't get the, the culture, um, and so, so brought, brought every, everyone back in. Talking about bringing everyone back in, Martha, are you going to try and uh, turn on your video, Martha? Is she going to be there? Um, we're going to say no. Yeah, Christine, on the remote side, Max, you know, the, the interesting thing is we're now starting to see billion dollar companies do it too, right? So we have GitLab and, you know, you have this, this sort of ability to run a remote culture 
um, yeah. and to scale that across billion dollar businesses, which is exciting and it's it's pretty new. Yeah, uh, Christina, can you turn your uh, video uh, back on and, and come on back in? And, and Martha, if you can hear us, hop hop on in, in to, to be my my freak show. Um, Alison in Pennsylvania and uh, Christina in the in the in the Netherlands. So you, you two are both um, in, inspiring, and in, in some ways, I can't believe that we're having this conversation. So here's the question: Why is there a lack of capital surrounding women-owned businesses? In this, in this sector. Christina, you go, you go first. Why, why do you think that there is this, this perceived um, issue or is there not an issue? Christina, what do you think? I think, I mean, there definitely is an issue if you look at the, the stats and the numbers. Uh, I think, I mean, women are obviously um, uh, held to unconscious bias and gender stereotyping. And I think when you're in a world where people are actively investing uh, their money in you, then that becomes sort of even more pronounced. Uh, so walking this balance in a double bind where you have to be perceived as competent and likable, I think is uh, really hard uh, for women. Um, yeah. And, and you've, Christina, I've just got to be direct. You've actually seen that? You, you've you've um, had, had, had that happen to you? Uh, uh, no, I actually have to reflect on this because uh, we've been very successful in the fundraisings that we've done. Uh, and in reflecting on that, I think I've, uh, I think I've managed to walk a very fine line where I'm able to come off as uh, competent and professional in sort of in the business savviness that I need to represent. But then from a personality perspective, be perceived as very positive and warm and optimistic and sort of all those female gender stereotypes that people have. Uh, yeah. So they get they get to see that, but then they also get have gotten the, uh, I would think the confidence since they invested that I am competent as a leader as well. So I, I would say that I have managed to balance it, but I do see I can uh, definitely um, uh, see that that is a challenge that uh, a lot of women are faced yeah. with. Thank Christina, thank thank you. Um, Alison, what what's your view? Lack of capital surrounding women owned businesses is, is it especially in your territories? Is is it a thing? Um, or, or we just blowing smoke. Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know these stats inside and out, like like most of us who are in the industry probably do, 2% uh, of all venture capital goes to female founded businesses. Um, that stat is actually mirrored in ag tech. So similar about 2% of all venture capital in ag tech goes to female founded businesses. Um, and so for a really long time leading into the last few years, this was sort of blown off as a um, pipeline problem, right? So it's just not a lot of women founding companies in this space. Therefore, that's why 2% of money goes into female founded businesses. And I think in the last few years, we've done a lot of work to say, look, that's not that's not accurate, right? There are a lot of companies that are being founded by women. Um, there are other things at play here, like what Christina was talking about, unconscious bias and all these challenges that are structural um, you know, there's a lack of women in venture roles in particular, right? So there's, there's this sort of, um, there's this sort of system that perpetuates itself at some point where it's just, I'm used to seeing the same thing, therefore I'm gonna pattern recognize and that's what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna keep looking for that same thing. And when you do that, you can never break the way that you think about things. And so anybody who doesn't look like what you're used to funding uh, doesn't fit that mold, right? So um, yes, it's a real problem and yes, we have to fix it. Um, and by the way, just a sh shout out and plug. Uh, so I'm also a partner at a venture capital fund called X Factor Ventures that invests in female founded companies only, not ag tech, just sort of industry agnostic. So if you're founding a company, come pitch us, like call me, uh, please, oh. because uh, there are a lot of funds out there that are thinking about this as a, not just a problem, but an opportunity too. If somebody isn't investing you, they're missing an opportunity to make a lot of money and, and we want to sort of fix that. And we've got, I don't know if you saw the, um, the, the, the pop-up message from Martha. Martha's just come in from the side saying uh, on a text, uh, so sorry, on a bus with 40 guys in AgTech, yes, I'm the only woman on the bus. Case in point. So, 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 so Tim, do you think we need to for, force this issue? And, and let me give you a direct, direct example. Um, in, in the UK, we have a very big pension fund called Legal in General, um, and it invests billions of, of, of sterling into major companies in the UK and, uh, and, and Europe. It, it made a de declaration a year ago to its top 200 companies it invests in. If they don't see a diversified board um, by the end of 2022, they will pull the funding in totality um, from um, each of those those businesses, if they don't have a diversified board by the end of 2022, they're, they're looking to create societal change uh, within 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 those businesses, and that put the scooby doos up those businesses. 
um, that hadn't looked to change, some already had, and have looked to actively um, employ um, to create that, that diversity. Is that a bit draconian? Do we, do we need to see that um, within, um, within this new world of ag tech, that the, the more forward-thinking ag tech businesses, yeah, they want to be a B Corp, they want to be, uh, have, have sustainability, they want to give duvet days, blah, blah, blah. should they also be having a, a mandate where um, one-third, 50% um, of all, all the team they're bringing in are, are women? Or is that a step too far? Uh, Christina, what do you think? And, and sorry, do you mean, are you specifically talking about ag tech now or companies in general? I, I, ag tech, how, how, do, do we just have to, do the three of us just have to preach uh, to these people to, to do good, bring more women in, into, into, into business, into ag tech, or do we have to force the issue? Yeah, a great question. I would, this one, I don't have like a super straightforward answer on. Uh, I'm a pretty extreme person and I, I'm definitely in favor of, as you describe it, draconian measures at times, because uh, as Allison mentioned, like these, some of these issues are structural and extremely s structural, um, and so you can't just sort of sit around and wait for the evolution to happen. Because I mean, uh, that's going to take too many years. Uh, so forcing people's hands uh, to some extent, um, uh, I think, uh, is relevant. That being said, I mean, I struggle with this in my own company, having built it and trying to have a sort of uh, overall a 50-50 split in recruiting uh, is really, really hard when you're working like 18 hour days and you're just desperately trying to find that new CFO. And the only person who like is in your network that's relevant is a guy and you know, and you don't have time to like, yeah. th there's also just like the reality of yeah. uh, everyday operations that really gets to you, which is something, yeah. So, so in that sense, having those strict measures would uh, would force would force people's hands more. Yeah, but, but it's, it's not the short term answer, but the longer term answer is to, to grow your own. We need more of you, more 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 Christine's and more Alice's coming through your um, educational systems and being directed into this uh, into, into this sector. Um, Alison, a, a double question to you, to you. Do you think we need to force this issue? Um, do we need to do more on an educational perspective to get uh, more kids interested in this this whole sector of ag tech of, of farming, Alison? Sure. Yeah. So, and we're seeing, by the way, measures like this in the U.S. and the Nasdaq as well, right? There is like a this movement towards uh, we want diverse boards, we want diversity, and it's not just it's not just women either, right? We have to talk about racial diversity. We have to talk about promoting LGBTQ uh, leaders. So it's really about creating this whole shift and movement in thinking of to sort of Christina's idea that if if the entire old world system is built off of inherent networks and the only people in leadership positions are white men, then you're going to have a structural problem in that you can never sort of bring in a new sort of class of leadership. Um, so I also am generally in favor of, of the sort of methods where we're trying to force somebody's hand a little bit and um, where it makes sense. I, I think that's important. Um, yeah, I'll also say second sort of point on this is that uh, investing in women is not a philanthropic event. Uh, women led oh, businesses nice. make money. <laughs> um, and so this is a, uh, this is an investment decision. So you, you like, we have to get out of the mindset of talking about investing in diverse founders as a uh, philanthropic uh, sort of endeavor or a thing that sort of is good for the world and only good for the world. It's also good for investors. And ultimately at the end of the day, investors jobs are to make money. Um, and so uh, I want to see more founders that are diverse who are thinking about that, who are like, look, we're going to be out here to change the world. And we're also going to make a return, right? And so uh, that I think is incredibly important. We talk too much about this as a sort of just good for the world thing and not a financial returns thing. Um, and the third thing to your, to your point about like sort of the next leadership, I think the, the incredibly important thing here is not just students and children and how do we think about these things, um, but it's to sort of what Christina was talking about. Our team at Artemis was 50%, actually more than 50% women. Um, and we sort of are pushing to have this in the new organization at UNU as well. Um, but that helps because when you exit, uh, if your leaders are women, if they're um, you know, black leaders, if they're LGBTQ leaders, um, all of a sudden when they go to start their company, which is what happens in a healthy startup ecosystem is when you have companies start to exit, then you have senior leadership and employees who are starting their own companies. Um, and so it's our job as leaders now to encourage that to happen as well. So that you get this sort of next class of, uh, of startup leaders, of investors, of who's in the ecosystem and who's leading and you change that dynamic from the inside out. 
I'm going to try and link this back to Christina's Tesla. You, you look how magical that that business is uh, in respect of the, the employee and the employee engagement. If we could do the same within ag tech for, for, for women and create that, that positive momentum. And um, um, Alison, I love what you said about um, uh, white uh, middle-aged men. Um, I'm going to go for a slight seg segue here, but I've, I've had, had, had so many people say to me today, you look at the problems that we've got in the UK at the moment around labour, uh, haulage, margin pressure, and the government is doing nothing. We had a government minister opening the show today, um, and, and, and she's basically got her hands tied because of um, Boris Johnson, uh, white, middle-aged, probably, probably uh, privately educated, and all of his cabinet are, are not dissimilar. We need to see a big, a big change to, to, to create that change. So, to, so come on, roadblocks. And this is one thing that we always hear about, um, about people looking to uh, raise um, uh, venture, venture capital. That's, um, they, they start off on this, this, this journey uh, with all excitement and by the 14th big pitch um, that they've done and they don't know where they are, they, they don't know whether the, uh, the, the, the kissing the, the right proverbial um, frogs, they, they, they don't know if it's going to uh, go well. Then, then when uh, people do engage, they, they hit Hit more robots. Did, what's your what's the advice for, for both of you for, for people who are looking to raise finance um, in this in this sector? If, if you could just give give us some of your your secrets as to how how people can successfully raise finance, that that would be that would be fantastic. Christina, what what would your advice be to someone that's um, in ag tech and is looking to to raise finance? What what's the what's what would how, how would you what would you, what tools would you, what tools would you give to people in their magic wand? Yeah, I, I mean, tools, a uh, magic wand. I, I, I think one point to build off of in terms of uh, Allison, you know, for example, investing in women is not a philanthropic effort. I think in general, uh, if you're going out to raise money, you need to have a solid business case. Like that's just yeah. the foundation. So I, and I know that's like a very plain answer, but like understand your business case, understand the market you're going into and understand how you're going to defend it towards investor. That's kind of been my number one uh, path to raising money. Um, so you just, yeah, you need to be strong in that. Uh, I would say in facing the capital markets, uh, and this is, um, somewhat based on personal experience. I, when I started raising money, I had like, I had taken some finance courses in business school and that was it. I had never touched that world before. And I thought it was, um, uh, I was very overwhelmed by sort of what I saw there. And I think going through fundraising rounds, like, uh, learning that people who work with money or have money or manage money, they're also people like they are not gods. And I think to some extent, the world communicates about the financial or the capital markets as, you know, these people who just control the entire world. And it's very easy to spin off of that and consider them to be these almighty individuals who know and everything and can do everything. And that's just not true. These people are good at what they're good at, but you're good at what you're good at. And I think that's yeah. really important. Like you're the one who understands your own business case. And so with that, when you're interacting with this world that for me was just very new and very strange, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to challenge. Don't be afraid to, um, or don't assume that the people around you just know what they're doing. Uh, so just, yeah, stand up for yourself, I guess, in that way. Awesome. Christina, thank you. Allison, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest, I mean, aside from some of the systemic challenges that we talked about earlier, I think one of the biggest practical challenges that women face, and, and honestly, anybody who's new to the venture world, right? First time founders, um, diverse founders who haven't sort of started a company before, anybody who uh, probably isn't ingrained into the venture world. One of the biggest challenges that most of those, the, the sort of group of founders face is uh, access to networks. So, you know, you talked about the fourth pitch or something being challenging. I pitched 150 people before we raised our first seed round. So, oh and that's God. common. That's not like, that's not a shocking number for anybody who's raising, right? It, you know, it takes 80, 100, depending on who you are and, and sort of how many companies you founded before and like what level of um, knowledge of, of, of you that people have, uh, it's going to take a lot of pitches, right? And so um, if you don't have a hundred people that you can call tomorrow who are qualified investors for your business, that's a challenge, right? And the, the world of venture runs off of these warm intros where you have to actually know somebody who know, you know, who knows them. Um, and that is a big structural challenge that's hard to beat down if you don't have that network. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice I always give to sort of combat that is find portfolio companies of the investors that you're interested in and reach out to those founders, right? And reach out uh, to the founders for the intro. 
Um, they're going to be the best people to one, do diligence on those investors because it's a mutual choice, right? You have to choose your investors just as much as they're choosing you. Um, and they're going to be able to make an intro for you in a way that's really, really impactful as opposed to just trying to reach out cold. Um, so that's something that I really, uh, I love. It's a good tip. It's a good tool for sort of breaking down those networks. Um, most founders are pretty accessible on LinkedIn. So if you just sort of reach out to folks, I'm sure that the success rate will actually be higher than you think it is. Um, and then the other thing is sort of to Christina's point, you have to be the expert in the thing that you're doing, right? And you have to be like the easiest way to break down any sort of systemic challenges and questions you're going to get is if you know the answers to the thing that you are doing um, and you are the expert in the thing that you're doing. Um, that's going to be the easiest way to come off as sort of a knowledge expert in the world. And uh, the only way you're going to build a billion dollar business is if you really live and breathe the problem that you're trying to solve. So be that person, right? And be that that sort of the bastion for whatever it is that you're doing. Um, so, so question just in from, from uh, both of you on WhatsApp. Um, I want to be as successful as Christine and, and, and Alison. What sector of ag tech do you think they would recommend that I go into? Christina. Uh, oh, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask that because my uh, sort of uh, my mantra career wise is to never sort of follow an opportunity just because I think it's a good opportunity. You have to you have to follow something you're passionate about. And this comes back to sort of if you're going to build a good business case and you're going to be able to passionately sell it, you need to be uh, like fully invested in it and love it and believe in it. And so kind of just following the most exciting opportunities, I, I, I think is um, uh, a strategy that could sort of fall through. So that's that's my, uh, my take on that. Alison? So I'll never forget a coffee meeting I was having years ago with a founder who um, was asking advice on like, what what should I do? What should I, what should I be a founder in? And uh, they like pulled out a list of things that they were like, these are the market opportunities that exist, right? And they were just like, I, I think this one's big. I think this one's big. I think this one's big. And I'm just going to kind of pick one. And to Christina's point, I was like, oh man, turn around, like stop, stop doing this, right? Like, don't do this. If you don't uh, live and breathe, like I said, if you're not so passionate about it, when it gets to six years in and you are struggling to make payroll or to, you know, your, your sales have hit a roadblock or you need to pivot the business into something new, or you are trying to expand globally and you're having, or, or your app crashes entirely because an engineer sort of accidentally <laughs> clicked a button and then it crashes, right? Which has happened to all of us. Like we've all had those challenges as founders where things get really, really hard. If you aren't fully bought in, again, irrational belief that you are going to change the world by building whatever it is that you're building because you think it needs to exist in the world that badly. If you don't believe that and you're not that passionate, um, it, it's not going to work, right? You're going to walk away. So, or you're going to damage yourself mentally, psychologically, like it, it's not good, right? So I would say pick the thing that you are most passionate about, right? What are you, what do you care about deeply make sure that that is a massive market. Like it has to be on that list of massive, massive market opportunities, but find the thing that you care, care about. And by the way, if you don't know the answer, that's also okay. Go do deep dives on many things, right? Create that list and go do deep dives and figure out what resonates. Where's your expertise? What is it the thing that you actually know more than anybody else about? Um, you can do that and you can become like a 60% expert on something before even jumping into anything. Wow, that's 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 brilliant, and you're you're going to love or hate hate this next question. So I've got an MD MD in the UK that's uh, start dialing in. Just going to do a bit of housekeeping. Uh, Martha, can you can you can you just turn off your your sound? That's okay because you, you just thank you very much. Um, so so here's a big question from a UK um, MD. Uh, Max, can you ask the the ladies who are both very very impressive and Martha? Um, I, I have twenty million US to invest. I don't, but let's just say we do. Uh, what area of ag tech should I invest in with my 20 million US? Christina, oh, you poor thing. I, I, keep, I keep, keep on giving you the bad ones first. What, well, but this, <laughs> but it's, it's a really interesting question because in, in a way we're, we're opening our eyes up to this whole world of venture capitalists um, that, um, that they're looking at um, what sectors that they should, uh, should, should invest in. I suppose we, we need a bit of a steer from you both as to what areas um, are, are going to prosper, especially those those that are going to be good for uh, for, for, for women. What, what do you think, Christina? Uh, well, I'm tempted to say Anna, but yeah, I yes. won't. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Um, 
it's a really overwhelming question. And I, I realize that's probably where the question's coming from because the, um, the ag tech space is just exploding right now. That I, I mean, sort of the role of food production and agriculture has sort of finally, I think, gotten its place. And uh, uh, what is the term? Like sort of the spotlight um, yeah. from a sustainability perspective. So people are finally understanding this needs to change. There will be an important role that this sector plays for the future. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, going back to uh, Alison's point, looking at um, whether you want to be like in the producer or in the provider space or sort of the service provider space, uh, I don't, I honestly don't have a good answer because there's so many exciting things uh, going on. I, I would, coming back to sort of uh, looking at the problems, I would sort of try to understand what the major problems are. The problems are around land shortage, uh, droughts, uh, while access to freshwater supply. And then from there kind of dig into what the uh, relevant business opportunities are within the spaces that uh, come from those challenges. And Ms. MD is just uh, WhatsApp me to say, um, I'm going to invest 20 million into Christina's business. Could I have her details, please? <laughs> no, I, I, okay, so, perfect. Done. Um, Alison, where, what would your advice be? Where, where would we invest this mythical money in, in the Look, I was going to say the same. I can give you our wiring details if you're interested <laughs> in you know. Um, yeah, it's uh, we'll split, no, split it's a, it, split it. We'll split it. We'll take ten each. Okay. Um, no, so I, I'm I, I'm really interested in two models right now in ag tech. Uh, one is you know picks and shovels. This is the world I live and breathe in. Right? Is what are the types of technologies that are going to drive the uh, underpinning of the growth of any specific industry in ag? Right? And so. For us in particular, that's the sort of fundamental layer of technology that empowers all of CEA to be profitable. And that's what we think about. But there's also things like genetics. There's things uh, on the biological side. There's things on the um, the, the greenhouse manufacturer. And, and like, there's just a lot of stuff going on right there right now. Um, and that's not just for CEA, um, controlled environment ag. That's for field ag. It's for anything, right? So any technology that's new that's going to drive the underpinning of uh, the growth of an industry is very, very interesting to me. Um, and the second thing I'll say is I'm really also interested in models kind of in the messy middle of the food and ag supply chain that um, don't have farmers as the customer, but have um, but have somebody else that's sort of uh, bigger with distribution scale opportunities as the customer. So thinking agribusiness um, uh, or um or, or transportation logistics, right? Any yeah, of those spaces where you're selling or CPG or consumer even maybe potentially, yeah. but something that's in this sort of messy middle that works with the big companies that have scale and distribution. Because a lot of the challenges when you think about ag tech that, that we've faced over the last 10, maybe 15 years since really software came onto the market was we're around distribution and how to get to farmers. Yeah. Um, and that one-off sale is really, really difficult. So anything that accelerates the distribution model um, is very, very interesting to me. And do you think um, that, that women going into the sector, they shouldn't be worried about um, changing their jobs on a, on a regular basis? In the UK, pre-COVID, uh, it was predicted that the, um, a 16-year-old today, by the time that they retired, they would have upwards of 64 different jobs because of the gig economy. Um, as we were talking about in the green room, there's, there's going to be some great successes in ag tech, but there's going to be some failures. But those, those people who have been involved with those businesses that haven't made it, they will have learned, they will have understand, they will have built up their network, and they'll be invaluable to, to another business. So do you think that women in the sector should be used to a little bit of churn in, in, in their career? Christina, what do you think? It, yeah, I mean, to my earlier point that sort of what we're seeing in ag tech now, I think is very much a response to sort of the role people are, are under finally understanding that ag needs to play in the future and how it needs to change. And we're kind of going in this like boom phase and that it, there will be a bust for sure uh, within a lot of sectors and a lot of opportunities. So yeah, if you're passionate about ag tech in general, which obviously it, it's such a sort of big field, but if you're passionate about that and you, uh, you know, are comfortable being in a lot of spaces, then yeah, sort of going through uh, rounds with different companies is uh, obviously a great way to learn uh, and advance. Yeah. And, and Alison, just a slight seg segue question. I, I just remembered a comment of a contact of mine who's British but works out of the UAE. He, he says he's, he keeps on getting approached by um, headhunters in, in America. Um, 
um, who are working for New York-based funds. And those funds, they, they've got no connection with agri tech, but they want to come into the sector, but they've got complete naivety to it. They don't know what, what's good and what's bad. And they want to employ people who are going to help them, uh, give them a steer as to uh, what, what areas of success are, are going to be. So, so again, women in, in this, this area of ag tech, should they be worried about these uh, funds coming in that will perhaps present, present money or opportunities, but they've got no understanding. And, and, and so they, 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 might, they might turn off that opportunity. Uh, they, they, they might get frustrated and, and look to lose that opportunity a year, 18 months down the, down the line. Are, are there more pitfalls and, and speed bumps ahead in this world of DC for, for, for women, Alison? Yeah, so it's a super interesting question. So, um, I mean, we have a number of funds that have invested in us over the years um, that don't have ag or ag tech experience, right? Like not, the majority of our funds are not ag tech funds, I'd say. Um, and I think that that's a good thing though, right? Is that uh, we, you know, for example, early on in our business, we looked for investors who had SaaS experience because we were building a SaaS company. Um, and so, yes, our customer is in the ag tech space, but at the end of the day, we were a SaaS business. And so we wanted to bring people who understood how to scale the mechanics of building a repeatable, um, repeatable process around sales, around growth, around product um, to our business who understood that from another industry. Um, and so I think that investors who don't necessarily understand ag tech, that's okay. I don't think you have to understand the market that you're investing in because you have an expertise that's probably useful to the business. So if you're a marketplace investor, why not invest in uh, in sort of marketplace-based technologies that are in the ag tech space or food tech space? Um, if you are a infrastructure investor, why not think about sort of how the infrastructure sort of plays into this, right? Um, the flip side is I do think it's important to note that ag tech as a whole, um, which again, probably too broad of a category, but ag tech as a whole uh, has in seen the same instant success that other industries have seen, right? We have a longer time horizon to exit. We have slower go, go to market and scale. Um, we have fragmented markets that are uh, low margin, right? You have all these different challenges that make it structurally difficult for VC. Um, so finding the right businesses to where you can put money is really, really important. And investors have to have that same mindset of maybe a little bit more patient capital, maybe a little bit more understanding. And so I do think the empathy for what the space is going through is helpful. But folks who have been through manufacturing, education, gov tech, all those industries, they all know this stuff to you. It's the same, it's this, it's similar challenges to those other industries. Yeah, but I think those organizations just need to listen to the two of you. We have got Martha back in the room. Um, and <laughs> so Martha, we, we've just spent the last um, 40 minutes getting this all set up for you. Uh, we, we've, had, we, we've had this conversation. Take it home, Martha. Yeah. Uh, Alison said it. Well, come, come on, but let's be serious. What's your view, Martha, on, on, this, on, this, on this subject? Do you think the future is bright for, for women in ag tech in the respect of venture, venture capital? Or, or should we just all go home now? Martha, what do you think? No, no I mean, hanging out with all these gentlemen, um, I get to hear the insights of uh, how not only the ag tech, the fact that a lot of farmers and people within the farming are getting into ag tech becomes a competition for all of us. And we have to be aware of that because it used to be most of us, most of people outside of ACTEC coming into ACTEC. Now ACTEC is coming from within the same rural areas. Um, and so we have to be aware of that as women and hanging out with the gentleman is very important because they embrace you if you're in these tours or these buses, I mean, North Dakota visiting beach farms, they, they tend to embrace you. So we, but we love it. And, and as I always have said, we women are the ones who consume everything behind that back of yours. So we should be also in the front of it, which is in the development of it. Yeah, Martha, well, well done. And, and do you think there is a structural problem with the sector that we're not seeing enough um, younger women coming through? And if so, how can we attract more, more women into the sectors internationally? Martha, what do you think? I would say, I would say a couple of things. I will, I will, if I had a daughter, which I do, Number one, I would say sports is one place, and look, this is very unusual thinking, but women in sports, we women in sports tend to be more longer term tenacious. Tenacity is one thing that you need on this industry. Yeah, so well involve women in sports and let them compete because competing women, girls competing in sports build their resistance and the resilience that you need in this industry. That's my number one, even more than math, science and technology, um, because it is a long term. It's a, it, it's a long run that you have here. Excellent. OK, so, so Max, can I just ask a question on that? Um, far away? Are all three were all three of us competitive athletes? I am a tennis professional tennis player. Yes. 
Yeah, wow. all three of us, I think, were competitive athletes. So I think that's a good, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, but the competitiveness, the resiliency, the sort of those things are, are really, really helpful for founders. So Alison, yeah. what, what, what was your sports? Yeah, so I played tennis, uh, tennis, softball, basketball, but I played uh, softball in college, D1, uh, for a little while, um, and still play tennis today. Christina, what was your sports? Rowing. Okay. It's, can I use the Will Smith analogy, which I, I think is um, really adapt? He, he says, just just run, everyone run. And, and uh, in this interview, it's like four or five years ago, the, the interviewer said, why, why run? Because when you run, when you jog, you, you keep on hitting barriers um, and you've got to get over that barrier. And then, and then you can run a little bit more. Then you hit another barrier. You get, um, and the, 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 the feeling of, of achievement when you've got over those barriers. And it's just like that in life. It's just like that on, um, on a relationship basis. It's just like that in business. You've just got to run and build that, that, uh, that stamina up. So um, unlike you three, I'm not a professional athlete in any, <laughs> in any, any, any way, but I have run in the, in the, in the past. And I understand mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that, that analogy. So, so on, on that basis, do, do you think that actually bringing women into ag tech is going to be really good for, for businesses because of the, the, the stamina, the longevity, uh, the, the, the patience, the, the maturity that, that, that you all have, Martha? I definitely agree on that. Um, and 100% because when you do sports and professional sports, you have to learn how to juggle your, your school, your family, oh, and at the same time gone. sports. So, so definitely the sports not only give you the tenacity, but the ability to jack because now you will have kids. And, and many women, we have to make a decision at one point, do we stay at home or do we stay in the business? And that's when you have been juggled, you will do it. And by the way, you ask if I have 20 million, where do we invest? Uh, based on all the ladies that I have discussed this before, I would say specialty crops. I will advocate for specialty crops, which is the fastest growing segment in the world because we're eating healthier so that's my my plug for my industry within the ag tech and those are the fruits the vegetables the nuts the herbs and the plants excellent okay i'll, I'll see if my md is happy happy to split the, the 20 million that's at the moment gone 10 10 of 10 apiece to alan Arsene and christine whether we could also point it in your direction Martha. so to everyone we this has been um Fascinating! It's been a real masterclass, and Martha, it's been brilliant to get get you get you in. If, even if you've been on the on the back of the coach, or well, someone's just asked, where are you? Where is your coach, Martha? Fargo, North Dakota. Wow! So, so we've gone from Dakota to Alice, where are you again? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And and Christina is in. Where it's a beautiful fall day. Oh, look at that! I'm just gonna just I'm just gonna spotlight you again, um, Alison. Just just give give us a view. Look at that. Brilliant. Oh, oh, and, let me, and let me show you my farmers here. All the far, yeah, I take the gentlemen here. They, they are all there. Oh, oh, oh. Martha, just, Martha, just show us one more time. We're going to spotlight you. Look at that. Look at that soil. That's a, look at, where's he going? <laughs> so, so come on, guys. Let's let's just summarize for, for everyone that's dialed in and on, on the record. We want to get your views as to women in, in venture capital is it is it going to be a success and how do we make it a success for women in um in ag tech how can we make ag tech successful for women you deploy in venture capital christina you go first uh yeah to summarize i would say uh, know your business case uh, be really passionate about uh what you're doing and make sure you can sort of sell that passion uh, when you're going out to raise money. Uh, and then don't be afraid to challenge the people in the venture world or in the financial world in general. Uh, and then may, a final one is to also just challenge unconscious bias when you see it, uh, challenge stereotyping when you see it. I, I, in general, make a point of calling out every time I'm the only woman in a room uh, with more than three men. Uh, and I don't care if it makes people uncomfortable, it's just to make a point. And that yeah. this is weird. Like this, sh it shouldn't be like this. Um, yeah. Allison. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think um, what I would say is if you're like a few steps before starting a company and just trying to get your feet wet, uh, go work for an ag tech company. Right. And so to that end, we are hiring at you uh, and I would love to connect with you. Uh, if you are on LinkedIn, just connect with me and message me and I'm happy to chat with you. Um, two would be if you're raising capital, uh, again, selfish plug, come pitch me, right? So, uh, and reach out to other founders in, in ag tech in this area. Um, Cause I think everybody's pretty much, you know, open to helping sort of lift the next generation of founders. So uh, that's just a like shameless plug, reach out to people, um, you know, email us, LinkedIn, connect with us just uh, 
uh, we all want to sort of lift that next generation up. And and I'll end with like, it's never been a better time, frankly, for women in in any industry in ag tech or whatever. Like, it's a fun, weird, wonky fundraising climate right now. Um, so like, get in, right? Like, just just get in and do it, and uh, and and reach out for help. Yeah. Martha, I would say um, read your financials better, understand financials all the time, because we women tend to create the businesses but not understand the financials and investors are very, very numbers driven. So read your financials, get somebody to teach you your financials uh, and do a, like I do every week, uh, one hour of financial uh, literacy within my own self in the company. So when they're coming to me with specific questions, I know what the heck I'm talking about. What, what a masterclass from, from the three of you. So we're going to just wrap up by saying thank you all of you. Uh, thank you for the National Fruit Show in uh, in uh, Kent. Uh, thank you to Global Women Fresh. I think the, the changes that they're making, especially with the likes of the three of you on board, are going to be fundamental to, to the sector. And it's going to make it even, even more exciting. It's all about uh, collaboration. So everyone, just before we wrap up, I've got to know, what's your favorite fresh produce? Christina, you go first. <laughs> Oh no, that's uh, uh, <laughs> my favorite fresh produce. Uh, I would have to say carrots. Carrots? Oh, I've never had carrots before. I was like, <laughs> what? You've never had a carrot before? Oh no, no, don't be, don't be pedantic, Alison. <laughs> and, and in the respect of this, I always ask this 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 question. I, I've had everything from melons to papaya, but never carrots. That's uh, that's great. Um, Alison, what's your favorite fresh produce? I'll give you my fresh, favorite fresh produce right now, which is apples, because in Pennsylvania it's apple season and there are incredible apples. Um, yeah. And so I just got a half bushel uh, yesterday and I'm making my way steadily through it. Excellent. But you have to look at the apples behind me. These are the best of British, British apples. Martha, take so us For away. anybody watching, for what it's worth, uh, Max was telling us that they have like a full-on security guard team around this produce. So Max, I'm fully expecting to see you turn around and grab one as quickly as you can for can everybody see, on the I can, see, I can see the security <laughs> men down there. Martha, what's your favorite fresh produce? Wrap up for us. It's a French, a strange one. It's called sour soap. And it's Wanawana. It's my favorite fruit ever. And I can, wow. now we get it frozen. Sour soap. Excellent. Well done, everyone. Thank you to Global Women Fresh. Everyone keeps safe. Martha, go out and join those, those men and, uh, and keep warm and keep dry. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank bye, 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 bye.